Stephen. Hello, Erica. Where are we? In the village, talking about episode 16, Once Upon a Time. And it is totally legit to say episode 16. Yes, intended to be, well, technically not at the time of its creation. It was supposed to be sort of the finale for the first season of 13 episodes. Really? Yep. Oh my God. Um, but once it, once by the time they got to basically the end of 13 episodes of production, they realized that, uh, no, I don't think we want to do a full 26. Let's just do four more. And so they, uh, reshot the ending a tiny bit to lead into the finale. Um, so this, yeah. Okay. So I guess instead of saying, you know, legit 16, I should say, you know, the, the penultimate episode. Because this was always meant to be the second to last, no? It was always meant to be the last episode of the first first season of two hypothetical 13-episode seasons. Got it. And there weren't. There's only one season of 17 episodes. Mm -hmm. So this Okay. God, this is so weird. (laughs) This is shot immediately after uh, The Times of Big Ben with Leo McKern. Hmm. Yeah. So it was supposed to follow right on? No. No? No. That's why he's back. That's why he's brought back. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's right. He does. He does. Um, I, f- I find it interesting that at the beginning he says, I'm the the new number two. It's not, you know, new again, I guess. But then he does say, you know, you brought me back for blah, blah, blah. So. Yeah. They just reused the opening sequence from the Chimes of Big Ben for this one. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. This is a rare instance where number two, a returning number two, I suppose there's only one other instance, Colin Gordon in uh, A, B, and C, and the general. But this one actually references the fact that he was there before. Mm-hmm. And this time he's brought back against his will by the looks of it. And like Rover is mm-hmm. sitting in the, the chair of number two. Well, I mean, he it, it seems <clears throat> a little bit flimsy, but he does say, you know, I'm not an inmate or a prisoner. He doesn't say prisoner, but, mm-hmm. you know. So maybe against his will, maybe maybe he agreed. It seemed to be like he agreed to it. He, mm-hmm. you know, he went back because they told him to, but he was he was up for it. But then got upset when he saw Rover in his chair and was like, "You don't need to treat me this way. I'm, you know, I'm here to do a job. So just let me get on with it." I think I think the Rover being in the chair was uh, the way he was reacting to it was almost like another in a long line of. Um, you know, uh, mistreatment perhaps since he was brought back. Mm-hmm. I'm led to believe that I think he was actually brought back as a prisoner as opposed to mm-hmm. convinced to come back, uh, about which more later. Yeah. So this this episode at the time when we first watched this didn't sit that well with you. Um, mm-hmm. Why didn't you like it then? Because it is ridiculous and actually I was trying to think about why it doesn't sit so well with me as we were watching it this time because right. I really didn't like it the first time um, I didn't hate it but I just really didn't like it and I think I think I put my finger on it mm-hmm. the the ridiculousness of you know re- regressing him back to childhood and then you know rearing him in this in this little room with weird bits of sets um it's you know that in itself is really not that much weirder than any of the other 
crazy stuff that they've pulled on him before, you know, uh, in A, B, and C. They've got him hooked up to this machine where he thinks that he's seeing people and things that aren't there. Um, you know, they haven't switched bodies with somebody. So it's not like the idea of doing this this crazy scheme is outside of the realm of possibility in this show. Mm-hmm. So that, that is not my problem. Okay. My problem is, is that in every single instance, all the other instances, when we have seen something like this, we as the viewer have gotten to experience it from within the fiction that number six is experiencing. So in A, B, and C, we actually get to see party scenes that were shot in a garden and at a house with people in, you know, fancy dress and stuff. And um, in the uh the western one what's the name of the western one living in harmony yeah in living in harmony we don't watch the entire thing with number six and some goggles on walking around with a bunch of cardboard cutouts Mm -hmm. we see the western so this is the one time where they try something like that and we actually watch it happening as number two would be seeing it outside and that just for me does not work work it's like watching a school play with like these little bits and pieces of the sets and i just i don't know it just seemed like he was trying to make something that was like art but it's it's kind of like i don't know people who don't really dig modern art because it's just a bunch of squares on the page or a bunch of splatters like that's that's me watching this just because you put a bunch of tinker toys together and spin them around in front of somebody's face that doesn't make it art this episode was so influential to me as <laughs> a teenager. This is this is the one that I think really hit home for me as I was just sort of coming out of my my shell and like sort of looking at surrealism and uh, allegory and like representation and everything. I I I, I um I did. I don't have it anymore. I have no idea what the context was, but for some English class or something, I was supposed to do a some representation I don't even remember what it was but I remember I heavily borrowed from this episode and the following episode of The Prisoner as my whatever I did I did a video with a couple friends I think it was I don't remember the context of it but it was very heavily influenced by The Prisoner I got an A on it <laughs> um, it, it, it meant a great deal to me and it, it a lot more has sort of crystallized over the years um, including this very viewing, it actually stuff sort of came together for me again for this one. So, so yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm happy that it affected you that way, mm-hmm. and I know that a lot of people love it and think it's a great work of art. And you know, that's the thing about art is some people look at the bunch of squares on this on mm-hmm. a canvas and think, oh my god, that is amazing. Or you know, th- th- yeah, and uh, other people look at it and go, that's a bunch of squares. Like I could, I yeah. could do that. this, you know, and it just doesn't surprise me that you got an A on your high school project because this feels like a high school project to me. This episode does. How should we, how should we go about talking about bits of this? Um, you talk away. I don't have a lot to say because it's just, I mean, it, I, I feel like I disliked it less this time than mm-hmm. I did the previous time. And I think, you know, I could, it's, its presence has been looming over this whole podcast. You knew knowing how it ends. Yep. Um, I, you know, I can, I guess I can kind of see why some, why people mm-hmm. in, enjoy it. But I think a lot of that enjoyment comes from the viewer 
putting their own thoughts, emotions, and feelings into it, as opposed to it being this something fantastic that uh, that bestows its fantasticness upon you. <laughs> I think I think there's a lot of uh, heavy lifting required for the viewer to turn this into something that's um, meaningful. I I thought so at the time. I was. I didn't even when I first saw it and for the first few times that I saw it I think I wasn't even aware what was really going on I just thought it was just being weird um until I realized that yeah it was sort of um number two taking number six through his his life basically up till now but you're right about what you said there this is a rare prisoner episode where we actually see it from the point of view Mm -hmm. of number two you know um the you know the opening sort of said he's the new number two but the the first real shot of the episode is number two waking up in his new home with uh rover being there like he is that's why i sort of think he's definitely the prisoner because he's basically in his own way reliving number six's experience upon his being brought to the village for the first time he's not waking up though like he arrives in the room from beneath from beneath i think where he was basically sleeping i think essentially it's not an exact mirroring but i i think the parallels are there to be drawn oh i see i didn't get the impression impression that he had just woken up i mean except for that it's breakfast is being served but you know we've seen we've seen numbers two being awoken before like they wear pajamas and stuff he's Mm -hmm. he's he's up he's dressed i mean he could have just arrived on the red eye He's he's dressed in whatever he wants to be, I guess, because um, he's not he's not comfortable. Perhaps he's he's wearing the exact same outfit that he was in Chimes of Big Ben, mm-hmm. so he's kind of like been put in that uniform again as well. Or that's just what he wears. <laughs> that too. <laughs> see, see, this yeah. is you know, like this is there's an awful lot of headcanon going on here. The fact that he, you know, he, he very violently shouts at the the uh, the butler to like take the breakfast away. Like he's rejecting the comforts of the village as well. Leave the coffee. He says a bit of a joke, <laughs> but you know, he so he's he's definitely against everything. Mm-hmm. He obviously had a bad experience the first time around. It sort of come around a little bit, um, but it's almost like his personal. Um, battle to sort of try to get the answer out of number six. That this is what's been vexing him over all this time, um, which is why he was brought back. Possibly makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, another thing that that I never really picked up upon, but I think I get it now, is because we saw that little Tinker Toy model in the very first episode in Arrival. Remember where Christopher Benjamin's character, sort of like when he's sort of going through any any politics, that sort of thing, like that. And I think that that Tinker Toy model, this is my interpretation of it, mm-hmm. represents society. Because mm. when he's when number two is sitting up on the on the as the not judge. judge is he the judge? When he's he's the judge, but he also is the head of the school. It's just right. sitting yeah. beside him. He sort of spins it a little bit, spins the top one a little bit. But also as the judge, you'll notice that you know it. You look at that thing, and it looks like the wheels should be sort of like rotating each other, you know, but they're all too far apart and it just takes, they have to spin them themselves. It's kind of a model of society that society doesn't actually work. It looks like it's supposed to work, but it's only individual wheels spinning. The butler is spinning each one, mm-hmm. one at a time, essentially. They, he's sort of, I notice how when they, when they find him guilty of contempt of court, 
they drag them across the table, very deliberately knocking over mm-hmm. that um, th- the wheels of justice, so to speak, to put them in. You know, there's there's a lot of a lot of metaphors like that going on. Yeah, actually, I can see that. That's and and that is exactly the kind of the kind of symbolism that just makes me roll my eyes and go, yes, the Tinker Toys are a metaphor for society. Good for you. Which, you know, I do say literally good for you for mm-hmm. recognizing that and pointing it out because that, that does make sense. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all if that was that was a thing that they were that they were going for. And it's just like how how very sixties of you, the prisoner. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yes, how dare it represent the time <laughs> period in which it was made? Uh, yeah, mm, it just, I'm. I'm not going to argue that that's. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're very likely right. That doesn't make me enjoy this anymore. Sorry. <laughs> Did you notice the spotlight during this episode? Mm-hmm. Yep. That it came on occasionally. It seemed. It seemed to be a part of the mechanics of um, of the treatment. Because he always, every time it came on, he got a little bit more sort of fuzzy and confused as to where he was and stuff. And it was, I mean, it was really, it was light that they used somehow to induce all of this, but putting the light over his head and they had to do that, you know, several other times throughout the process to sort of reset things, I guess. So light. The spotlight, like in the, in the embryo room, that one, right? Yeah, well, but both of like there's yeah. there's there's two different types of light, but they both seem to be working together to put him in the mental state required to absorb all of this and believe it and see it from you know whatever his perspective is, since we don't actually see that. So he didn't notice then that for one brief moment, it actually shines on the butler, hmm. and at the very end, uh, once. Uh, number two wake uh, I think once when is it when he wakes up when he's sort of like number two's like uh, number six is standing over him that entire scene until the end it shines on number two yeah that I noticed yeah. because you know once again number six is our hero mm-hmm. so the tables have turned by the end and it's it's you know Leo McKern is the one who is who is on the defensive he's the prisoner yeah mm-hmm. he is the prisoner at the end of this Yep, because it's what was it? Something I can't remember. What was the name the name of this whole process? Which degree absolute? Degree absolute. What? <laughs> like, what does that even mean? As in, like, degree absolute. As in, like, at one or the other. Basically, two men enter, one man, one man leaves. It just seems like a very weird way of putting it. Mm. But, uh, but yeah. So I mean, we do get to sort of see the moment that that happens, and it is the the light switches. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yep. how and how the butler basically seizes who's in charge and follows whoever is in charge, like without mm-hmm. question. Like once number two, when number six sort of defeats number two. Um, I wonder where the moment is. Uh, you know, like when uh, um, when number six is behind bars with handcuffs on, and number two sort of goes, you know, I'll I'll kill you or something, and he says, oh, you know, open it. Mm-hmm. And number two t- says open it, but actually it's number six that yells it. Open it! Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if at that point is when the butler and everything sort of mm-hmm. thinks that he's just given he's just given the order. Number six mm-hmm. is actually given the order to open it, and he becomes the one in charge. He becomes the warden to the um, the prisoner. 
Possibly, but it is number two that actually says open it first. He does. Yep. But the but number six says it last, and I that's guess. when he actually starts when he moves. But it happens so fast. Mm-hmm. It's not like number two says open it, yep. and the butler just stands there, and mm-hmm. then number six says it's just it's like ba boom. So like there's ambiguity. There is ambiguity. I'm just wondering if it, the forcefulness of number six yelling it. Mm-hmm. Uh, is is what actually springs him into action? Why he thinks perhaps because this sort of ties in with the che- with checkmate. Remember how you know the number six was sort of trying to find out who are the prisoners and who are the wardens, basically, mm-hmm. and telling every everyone on his little his little band mm-hmm. who is in charge and who should be. And but of course, by taking charge, he was he inadvertently convinced everyone <laughs> that he is actually the warden, and everyone else is trying to to fight against him. Perhaps the butler was doing the same. Mm, good point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love this episode so much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad that you like it. I, I want to, and like mm-hmm. I, I can see, I can see a lot of the things that I think you and people like about it. It just doesn't, it just doesn't appeal to me. Like you know, his, uh, him not wanting to say six all the mm-hmm. way through like you know like there's there are a lot of things i feel like you know mcguin was i don't know probably very drugged up and was just like yeah this is a symbol symbolic of that and this means that man and sure it all comes through it just it's not my bag i like i like things to be a little bit more um atmospherically creepy uh-huh. and and i guess straightforward plot wise as opposed to just surreal i i just don't like surrealist stuff and yeah yeah you like Twin Peaks Twin Peaks is atmospheric very very I mean some people would say that it's atmospheric to the detriment of everything else but and there is and the the parts of Twin Peaks that I like the best are the parts that feel more straightforward plot wise (laughs) I mean you didn't watch long enough to get into season two where things just got weird and that's you know like I'm, that's the part that I don't care as much for mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. oh I see so you were hooked in by like the sort of the murder mystery stuff in the first season mm-hmm. of Twin Peaks and the interestingly in the village <laughs> the the town mm-hmm. of Twin Peaks and all of its characters and its weirdness and the the music and and all that kind of stuff and we don't get any of that here because I mean except for a little bit at the beginning mm-hmm the weird thing of him asking the guy with the umbrella what his number is yeah. I didn't understand that at all I didn't either okay uh, like who is this guy and why is he upset and why would number six ask him how at mm-hmm. the beginning and then why would he freak out at that I don't know um, so yeah the, the things that I like about the village we don't really get a lot here because it's it's the embryo room for mm-hmm. most of the time mm-hmm. that it is it is though like this being made sixth um, you know it <gasps> Six. Whoa! Something <laughs> had to be. Um, it's it's sort of McGowan who is like he's not burned out yet. I mean, the sad thing for you, I guess, is that like this is what he sort of had in mind. A lot of the, you know this other episodes later on are, are ones that he sort of took over the directing of, like firing directors and doing it himself. Mm-hmm. But this was full on intended to be written and directed by Patrick McGowan mm-hmm. and starring Patrick McGowan. I mean, that's. Mm-hmm. For one, that's amazing to see in television and I, in this day and age, let alone 1967. Although, honestly, the true star of this episode is not McGowan. It's Leo McKern. Oh, is he? Isn't he amazing? He is. He's very good. Like, I 
I cannot argue with that. He's excellent. I mean, even from from the very beginning of the episode, even before we get up to all that weird stuff, it has a different flavor mm-hmm. right off the bat um, because because of McKern's performance and his just you know his pathos really when he's on the phone with uh with number one or whoever is at the other end of the phone Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. he either depending on on what you hear he either suffered a what was then turned as a nervous breakdown or a heart attack during the making of this because mcguin pushed him so hard oh my god yeah it was it was a fraught production wow in that regard yeah oh jeez yeah, because it's just the two of them. I mean, it's the two of them for basically a week. It's you know, it's very unintentionally meta. One week, one <laughs> teeny weeny week. It's just the two of them in that studio, um, going at each other essentially like that. It was. I, I think that the real, you know, sort of the the play acting uh, personas sort of took over a little bit. I think McGowan started becoming a little more. <laughs> too forceful perhaps in it you know just because it just it, it consumed them both basically authoritarian a little bit yeah i uh you know there are there are some shows that i i like and i'm fascinated by and i'm like oh wouldn't it have been cool to like you know be on the crew for this or to you know be involved in the production like doctor who like learning a lot about the stuff <clears> behind <throat> it i would not have wanted to be anywhere near the production of this show much yeah. as i adore it no thank you too much yeah yeah, <laughs> I kind of would agree with you. There's this. I I like you know. I, you know me. I like knowing the um behind the scenes stuff for pretty much everything, especially Doctor Who. Uh, I sort of read up more about it for this podcast. I think because before I kind of lived in a bit of mystery, and I kind of liked it that way a little bit. I mean, I'm fascinated to know about the whole production that and the you know the time period in which it uh, which it originated. But um, but yeah, it's it's one where I I dip in and sort of casually learn about it because I think the the end product stands up well on its own. Did you know that um, my first favorite Babylon 5 episode, the, um, I can't remember the name, towards the end of season two, the one with Jack the Ripper, Mm -hmm. that one? Yeah, I don't remember titles. No, uh, a deliberate and extended homage to this very episode of The Prisoner. Really? Yep. Like the interrogation of uh, Sheridan and Delenn? You are correct, yeah. Oh, I guess with the spotlight coming down on them from above. Wow. Interesting. I, I, didn't, uh, I didn't put that together before. Yeah, I think... Well, like uh, Babylon 5, by the way, you do a Babylon 5 podcast. Mm-hmm. I have to insert this disclaimer. Don't reply to us about anything regarding Babylon 5 because I'm the control in the experiment of your podcast that I've never seen it before. But I remember hearing that Babylon 5 was um, had a lot of prisoner references in it. And sure enough, I think the very first episode with Bester in it, he says, be seeing you. And I thought, oh, <laughs> this is setting up already. And really, there hasn't been that many overt references since then. But that one, I remember. I think I remarked at the time that this kind of reminded me of that episode, too. And I wasn't sure if you had seen The Prisoner at that point. I don't think you had. I think that mm-hmm. one... That one that was that might have been the tipping point to say, oh, we should watch The Prisoner. Oh. I think that was it, now that I think back. That would make sense, because the podcast, uh, The Audio Guide to Babylon 5, yeah. available at b5audioguide.com. Um, yeah, since we're doing it every other week, it's basically sort of in real time with the, the series, so it takes us a year to get through <clears throat> a season. Mm-hmm. And yeah, if that was, that was in season two, yep. which means that it would have been and we're now just starting season five so that would have been like two and a half years ago and 
yeah, it was only last year, I think, that we watched The Prisoner for my first time. So yeah, so I guess no wonder I didn't notice that about that episode because I hadn't seen The Prisoner yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there you go. So... Okay, I suddenly look on it a little bit more fondly. There we go. Yay! <laughs> Finished on a high. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there anything else you want to say about Once Upon a Time before we wrap this up? I'm. Oh, actually, yes, there is, and this is yeah. ridiculous. Okay. Uh, I can think of another thing, too, but go on. Um, I am looking at the... Uh, <laughs> The, the DVD, no, the Blu-ray yeah. um, menu screen. And it says Once Upon a Time. It's got the U capitalized, whereas in the actual <laughs> title... I wonder if you're going to notice that. <laughs> of course I did. Yeah, uh, yeah the actual title um, on the screen of the episode has the U lowercase, mm. as it should be, because um, it's a preposition. Oh. Yeah. So, yeah, Once Upon a Time. That's that's it. Also, you haven't asked me uh, who I'd want to cosplay as. That was my next thing, yeah. Um, actually... Hundred. This is the easy one because there, there's there two um, that are exactly the same outfit, and that I really genuinely, truly want to be able to wear, not just as cosplay, but every day. Uh, and that's the two women who leave the control room. And I'm pretty sure that I have also used this previously because that's the same outfit that the women in the control room mm. always wear. Uh, black pants, um, sensible like Keds type shoes, and uh, and that white, not white, sorry, gray. A uh, turtleneck. Um, it's not quite a cowl neck. It's not a tight turtleneck. It's kind of like a loose turtleneck. Kind of not like what number two is wearing, really. If you think about it. Yeah, very similar to that. Yep, kind of. A, it's 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 knit, but it's like a a, a tight, more of a tight knit, tight mm. weave, and uh, just looks really comfortable and yet stylish because it comes down to about like the hip level, and like I would I would love the hell out of that. What is double night time, by the way? <laughs> Because they say <laughs> double night time and everyone files out to this dramatic music and it's just the supervisor and and the number two taking over. That's the, It means about as much as, what is it again? I keep forgetting. Absolute. Degree absolute. Yeah, it's just, it, it, it's word salad. There's a lot of this episode that's word salad. Mm-hmm. But I'm happy that you like it. I, I really am. I'm, mm-hmm. I, and other people like it too. So I'm I'm happy that it exists for those people because I can just have in my head canon that this just didn't happen, or it or it did, and I just don't enjoy it. It's funny that you know I compared Twin Peaks to this mm-hmm. episode. To me, Twin Peaks mm-hmm. didn't happen, mm-hmm. but I'm glad that other people enjoy it. <laughs> yep, yep. There you go. That's that. Like I said, that's art. Some people like some things. Some people don't like those same things and we're all allowed to like what we like mm-hmm. all the world's a stage I don't, I don't like getting my deli- my beautiful Shakespeare mixed up in all of this nonsense but I guess if it has to happen it has to happen <laughs> next week we end our little odyssey through the prisoner mm-hmm. with followed the final episode yeah Although Inside Baseball, we're actually just going to watch it right now and record <laughs> the same night. Inside Baseball, the uh, the um, episodes that you heard before the girl who was death uh, <laughs> not even close to happened yet. So we don't even know what episodes we did in time. Though. So in a way, we're kind of mirroring the... Um, the making of the prisoner mm-hmm. <laughs> that we made our own penultimate episode before um, mm-hmm. before we actually made the episodes before. 
So, yeah. Well, not before he made the episodes, before yeah. before they were released. That's what I mean. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Fallout episode 17 of 17 uh, next week on In the Village here on the Incomparable Network. Be seeing you. Be seeing you. Thank <laughs> you.